Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Vertical Street Ventures, where we talk to top experts and seasoned investors to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. My name is Peter Pomeroy, and I am your host. Today's show is part one of a two-part series on property management companies. In today's podcast, we will be interviewing Lanny B. Porter, who leads CalCap Properties, which focuses on the needs of multifamily owners who own properties with over 100 units each. Next week, we will interview a PM company that focuses on properties with less than 100 units. So into Lonnie's quick bio, she is the Executive Vice President and Managing Director at CalCap Properties, a large property management company with operations throughout the Southwest. Lonnie has extensive executive level experience having worked in senior management for American residential properties, GetSmart.com, and nCommand.com, which is also a company she co-founded. Lonnie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Peter. <laughs> Excellent. So we've got a, there's so much we could talk about from uh, you know the state of property management today to all your background. It's very rich. So given that, let's obviously start with CalCap. Well, no, let's not start with CalCap. Let's start with you first. Share with us your story of kind of how you got to where you are today. Just an overview. Okay. Well, I was among the team that founded and built American Residential Properties, as you just mentioned. We built a portfolio of over 25,000 single-family homes throughout 13 states. But what was unique about it is we were the very first SFR REIT to go public. So basically, we helped to create the definition around this asset class with all of the lenders, investors, and rating agencies who had not really conceived of, you know, a Walmart uh, property manager with being able to provide Nordstrom service, as it were, right? right? Because, because most property management companies that were designed to respond to this arena were very small mom and pop portfolios traditionally in very local markets where they acquired six to 12 homes you know, maybe more than that, but unusually, would it be any larger than 50 or so for your largest managers of SFR portfolios? So, you know, this was a very unique experience because we had to build this uh, platform from the ground up, hadn't been done before. And we were the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. So I would say, you know, when I talk about everything in my history leading up to that, it was really around developing operational platforms to deliver high-touch service with as many efficiencies with all the interstitial steps required to perform those activities. So all of that experience over those 20-some years leading into that venture kind of is what propelled me back to multifamily and the more traditional asset class in rental, in residential rentals that had been well formulated over time. But given this experience, I think I was able to bring a kind of a different approach, as as it were, to help take multifamily into that next horizon, which uh, we've all seen take place over the last, you know, maybe half a dozen years with 
the advancement in technology that has really helped to take us to the next level in terms of just all of the chatbot capabilities to be able to interact to set your own appointments or to self-tour, you know, different tools that heretofore had not really been a staple of multifamily as it traditionally had been managed to. That's great. Your passion on focusing on the operations, creating efficiencies. And then what I heard is, and, you know, doing it at a, you know, super cost effective, but also providing that high touch experience. But we'll go, we'll get back to that. So, but before we do, Talk to us a little bit about CalCap properties in terms of the types of owners, the you know the size of properties they they work with. We'll just kind of get a good overview of that. That'd be terrific. Okay, great. Yeah. So again, I think uh, the point of differentiation here that I that I think best describes CalCap properties is that you know you touch on units, although our average properties run 100 units or better. Really, we're not focused on being the largest portfolio out there in terms of the number of units that we manage. We are more focused on developing the right owner relationships because the way we look at it is every owner has an exit strategy. And our job as a property manager is to help them to realizing that exit strategy or that investment strategy. And so the 70% rule of thumb is that if we're successful at that, they're going to want to sell that property, right? Right. Whether it's in three years or five years, there's going to be an attrition of that property. You're going to work yourself out of a job. That, That is correct. Right. Which is why our focus is on finding, being the right fit for owners themselves, because our job is to help them to be successful, to buy two properties the next time based on the equity they're able to realize out of that investment, or certainly to buy up and buy a bigger property the next time, et cetera. So the idea is is that if we're helping them to their end goal, we will continue to be made whole on any attrition that we successfully help them to an acquisition or disposition on. That's excellent. That's so uh, like different than oh, you know, we want to grow units. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a very rich story of differentiation with respect to locations. Just more tactically, obviously, I, I know CalCap in the context of Arizona. Is it the Southwest? And are you also in Florida? Or just give a kind of overview on that those pieces. Sure, we are in the Southwest. We do operate in Florida. We also operate in Arkansas. But traditionally, our core markets here, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Nevada. So really with with a focus on those smile states, right? And honestly, it doesn't mean that we wouldn't go into other states such as Colorado or or those that are not necessarily, you know, less than than warm weather. Right. But uh, we believe very strongly in having a strong beachhead reason to go into a market so that we're leveraging, again, core efficiencies that having a critical mass helps to attain and retain. So then with respect to the types of owners that you work with or, you know, who are buying your product or, you know, the hundred units and above your, your niche, what are the different types of owners that you're working with? Well, we do work with some owners where this is their retirement fund, okay. right? They, they have invested in what they hope to be an ongoing residual cash flow to them 
that essentially is is setting up their 401k, but by virtue of it being the right, you know, the right project, the right property for a long-term hold. Other owners are comprised of many investors who under that arena may be in multiple investments with that owner, but they are invested in their piece of it. So it's a collective mindset in terms of determining you know, the reasons uh, why they feel an investment is better for it to be this property they're focused on over another. So in that mix, I may have different investor groups that have those kinds of consortiums, but they look at different things. So some may be still looking for that value add, right, where there are, they are obviously looking to raise or invest above and beyond the purchase price to be able to take it to the next step. And that may be a renovation of all the units to be able to lift that further. There may be those that are looking for a stabilized property where they're not necessarily looking to increase the capital going in, but they see that there is potential for, you know, being able to derive more efficient, effective operational benefits because maybe they see that there's a, an opportunity for a property that's been self-managed by cell phone owner for a long time. Maybe as a result of that, rents have been depressed, have not really kept up with market because they've not really been focused on pushing those rents so much as, hey, it's a real headache if I have even one person move out a month, right? It's, it's like, let's keep everybody happy. But that investment group may come along and say, you know what? We have a operating plan that we've seen work well before where We're able to take those rents to market, not necessarily needing to invest heavily in renovation premiums to get that additional cash flow. And they spend a lot of time combing and looking through and underwriting and evaluating, you know, where those those deals are that fit their approach to taking and making an investment for that kind of return. So different ownerships have different viewpoints in terms of what is the right acquisition for them. And then, of course, we have those mom and pop owners who are taking down substantial, significant properties, but they're really looking to cash flow it for the long term. And that's their steady as she goes plan. That makes a lot of sense. So then let's kind of get into some, maybe not all three of those categories, their, their specific needs, but just generally the needs of owners. What are you hearing or sensing their needs are today that might be different? from a year ago? Well, I think holding closer to budget is something that owners are very interested in, whereas before they they might have expected a little more bandwidth in terms of, you know what, we're going into a property that has not been to market in a while, so we're going to have gains on that. We're planning on renovating and getting premiums off of a certain percentage, so that will also help our cash flows, et cetera. But I think there's more of a focus below the line now in being able to keep those costs in closer alignment because there's less predictability in terms of how high rents can go right now because the velocity is not quite the same that it's been. Even though we're not seeing a big slowdown, we are starting to see some signs that we're not going to get the kind of rent growth year over year that we've seen over the last couple So that's going to cause us to have more certainty in terms of the expense side. 
so that our gains, hopefully we can pocket those, keep those as it slows down a bit and still meet our pro forma plans. All right. So, so what I'm hearing is maybe previously there was a, a more of an emphasis on how we can like maximize our rent growth given the rent growth market you know, environment that we were in. And now as well, specifically for like a Phoenix market where the rent growth was you know huge and now it's still really big, but just not huge. Owners are pivoting a little bit to say, okay, let's focus on our expenses and if, you know how to create efficiencies and, and try to get some control over that. Is that, am I correct? Yes, yes, because I think we focus on rent growth quite a bit, but the other thing that's grown are the cost of goods, right? Right, which means that our even our basic turn and basic supply costs have had an increase from our our vendor bases. On top of that, delivery, transportation, cost of gas, cost of oil, cost of utilities. I mean, we've had an uptick in many operating costs that have heretofore been fairly stable, pretty predictable year over year in terms of, you know, 3% growth on expense that we expect in, in our supplies, et cetera. And I think with this year, we're starting to see a little widening of those expense margins that in the past when we've penciled them out in setting our, our three and five-year goals, that maybe now we're having to look a little harder and a little closer at staying in alignment because we won't necessarily get the extra two to three percent above the line right. beyond the rent growth we've we've expected right. to kind of wash that out. Yes. Yes. That's where we I think are having to sharpen our pencils and be sharper about those bids and about those service contracts so that we get a real steadiness below the line as well. We've assumed a lot about all this. Like, well, let's just pause for a second and spend, you know, just two, I'm a, I am a, you know, owner. I have 150 units. How do I buy services from you? Because it relates to some of the questions I want to get to. Do I give you 5% or 3% of effective gross income and then everything comes with that? Or how is that just kind of like done? Well, certainly still traditionally we do bid for the services because oftentimes, right, we're one of three that you're looking at as it comes down to the wire and, and those uh, differentiators come into play as well. But yes, the percentage of gross operating income is how we evaluate that. And that's really a two-way street, meaning if we're helping you to achieve your goals, you know, our return on what services we provide have an opportunity to grow as well because we're able to to grow that right. uh, income together. Right. So, so that still is the axiom that still works very well uh, to create that partnership. And I would say in terms of an all-in, which is the other part of your question, we do have expand and contract additional a la carte services, primarily when it comes to much like wanting to do heavy renovations, not everybody wants to bring in an outside contractor. Some want us to perform that as well. And so we can augment with, we have what's called our all-purpose maintenance team. So we're able to augment the basic pass-through payroll to say, okay, we're going to bring in an all-purpose maintenance person to be dedicated to augment those renovation efforts. We're going to have a built-in cost per hour. We're only going to have them there for the specific projects as it relates to what we've agreed upon. So we're able to provide those services, which, 
you know, essentially is to a premium, but a very small premium. It's really in our best interest to help move these projects along. So it basically is an hourly rate that that helps to cover fringe. Additionally, we will manage contract services to the extent that our construction services to the extent that you're coming into an asset with a heavy CapEx budget to be able to perform a great many things that you would like to have done. We will, you know, negotiate a percentage of that oversight, which also requires bringing in some other resources aside from your dedicated staff on site to help augment the progress and oversight and punch lists and and what have you. That's excellent. Thanks. I, I think it's just so helpful to get like real clarity in terms of you know the, the services and value you know, you're providing to the owners and how um, that all works. So thank you for that. And this is how it leads to to the question I was going to get at, which is you know for investors who are trying to get into the Phoenix market and you're talking to them, do you do like a surveys and other type of work? to help them get like understand and get into the market so that they can underwrite effectively? Is that like a, a potential paid service or is that something where it's more relational? And- it, it's definitely more relational. We're happy to look at a deal. Generally speaking, when you're doing even back of the envelope to determine what you want to go deeper on, you at least have a starting point and some points that you're able to provide us, which then we're able to take and and understand what your your goal for the project is. As I've mentioned a couple of times, if, if you're looking to extract some premium by doing some upgrades because the property has potential for that, you know, it makes a difference whether you're planning on doing upgrades on 10% or 50% or on all of them. So it's important to know that. If you're planning on doing none of those things, but you are investing you know, a facelift in the curb appeal and some of the amenities, that's important to bake in as well. We have the ability to to pour over, you know, the initial bones of what, what your assumptions are and then kind of flesh that out with our own pro forma, if you will, across the major food groups to give you our opinion of what we think uh, those operating expenses will be or where we think those revenue cash flows can increase. We'll provide that. And then as you get closer, if the if you have gotten to a point where you've put in an offer on the property and you find yourself in best and final, we'll roll up our sleeves with you and, and we will get more finite about those assumptions to help you to, you know, the the best offer that you can possibly make if you're intent on winning that deal. That's excellent. So you moving a little bit up, kind of a little more high level. With respect to the investment market in Phoenix, let's just use Phoenix as the example, from the, the perspective of you, a property management company, has demand changed much in terms of investors that are trying to get into the market? Has demand changed much from, say, a year ago? I would say a year ago, it was the Wild West, here, okay. where you were seeing maybe 30 to 50 people respond to a broker to tour a property. You were seeing 50 to 100 people on every property wanting to do the number of offers that were coming in were substantial, more so than at any other time previous. I've seen some tapering off from that high point, Mm -hmm. but I would say we're kind of a little closer back to, to where normal levels were of interest. And certainly that is also related to less deals being on the market 
than previous last two, three years. So we're seeing less deals on the market, but we are still seeing a lot of intensive effort towards off-market deals, which is where those relationships come in very handily for people that are already in the Phoenix market, and it makes it more difficult for folks trying to break into it because those those sources, resources for feelers, it takes a lot of pounding the pavement, if you will, to to be able to get your ear to the ground on some of that, which is yeah maybe not publicly listed. Yeah, it's, it's, it's focused effort. What about the values? We talk about velocity, but in terms of any value, you know, values, are you sensing there has been a change? Like I've heard in some markets, even doubt like the Dallas-Fort Worth that, you know, there've been some discounts in the 10%. Have you seen any of that in the Phoenix market? I've seen a little of that. I've seen a little of that. I've heard a little of that. And I will say most of that is because deals that were in process before rate interest rates were going up is, is kind of where you've seen that contraction, which is right. trying to help a little bit with the cost of funds. Right. The interest rates change mid-deal. Yes. Okay. So we're going to move into our final two questions. You have this incredible operations background. If you were to apply it to a completely new industry, what industry would that be? That's a difficult question. It really is because, because there are there are so many industries where it's operationally based in terms of understanding where you can gain efficiencies. And for me, I'm all about it may sound it may sound strange, but I get very excited about breaking down a process to its in interstitial components. Because I find that in every operation, no matter what industry it's applied to, there are always steps that are just taken for granted because that's the way it's always been done. And I like to hone in on those to go, well, wait a minute, let's look at it another way because everything deserves revisiting. And so, you know, building a better mousetrap is just one of those things that I tend to enjoy. So it would have to be a people industry where people are still the primary component that makes all things come together and work well. I'm not, as much as I've been involved in improving technologies in the financial services arena for for decades, I still find that there is always that people component that can make or break no matter how great a system you've put in place. And so the people component would still have to be enticing and uh, part and core to to the whole for me to dive into it. That's a great, I mean, forget about the industry, but the attribute is even more kind of interesting for, for, I think, our listeners to hear from what you're saying. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get to question number two. What advice would you give to women who, like you, have done, aspire to accomplish a lot? What advice would I give to women? Well, first of all, I was advantaged by the fact that I have four older brothers. So I, I never really, I always knew I had to stand out in my own particular way to be heard. But it doesn't mean that you have to be as aggressive. It means you have to be more prepared, right? Because it is one of those catch-22s where there is a way to, to get people to pay attention. But it doesn't have to be because you're anybody different than somebody else at the table, right? right? It doesn't mean because you're a woman or because you know, you're the first new person that's entered into this position in a while or whatever the case may be. So I would say being prepared is paramount to everything because preparation is what lends itself to confidence. 
and confidence lends itself to certitude. And when people know that you've done your homework, they derive that from knowing how certain you are about your opinions on the matter. Oh, that's excellent. Thank you for that. Lonnie, thank you for coming on the show. If listeners want to get a hold of you or CalCap, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, yeah, Lonnie.porter at calcap.com. I'm available there. There's a period in between there, Lonnie.porter, calcap.com. Or just reach out to us through our website, calcap.com. We'll be happy to respond to you and return your inquiry. Terrific. And for listeners that would like to connect with me or be on the show, please reach out to me at peter at northlightgrowth.com or on LinkedIn at Peter Pomeroy. Thank you all and wishing everyone a terrific week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Subscribe too, so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to verticalstreetventures.com. If you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with our team on the website. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.